welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Attitude. Everyone say attitude. And attitudes are really, really important. So much so that Jesus taught us the kind of attitudes that we should have. The Bible says that our attitude should be like Christ. In actual fact, if our attitude was like Christ, then we wouldn't have all the problems in the world that we see. People often ask me, if God's a God of love, why do bad things happen? I'll tell you why, because we're not like Him. We don't act like Him. And our attitudes are not like Him. Jesus was crucified on a cross and as He was being crucified and left to die, He looked down upon those that were mocking Him. I mean, they're mocking Him. And He says, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, if we could all exert that kind of attitude, I'm telling you, our problems would cease to exist overnight. Do you believe that? And so our attitude should be like that of Jesus Christ. And uh, to go into a little bit more detail as to what they look like, I'm going to read to you the very sermon or message that Jesus taught 2,000 years ago. Okay, And it goes something like this. And it's found in Matthew chapter 5. And you can follow on the screen or read your own Bible. There's a novel thought. You guys bring your Bibles anymore? Do, Do you read them? Good. That's awesome. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 says, Now he saw the crowds and he went up on the mountainside and sat down. And the disciples came to him and he began to teach them saying this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last week I sat down. For the sake of time, I won't do that today. All right. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. How many of you would like to be shown mercy? And be merciful. That's what the Bible says. Um, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. I've had a little ongoing joke for all the Monty Python fans out there. The trouble is I've learned that there's a lot of people who don't like Monty Python. Um, If you've seen Monty Python, you remember this scene where Jesus is teaching uh, and there are many people who are miles and miles away trying to hear what he said. And and as as the the distance got greater and greater, they were trying to struggle to understand what he was saying. And they were saying, what's that guy talking on? I said, I don't know, blessed are the cheesemakers or something. And then someone went as far as saying, no, no, I think he's saying blessed are all producers of all dairy products. And he kind of got out of hand. And uh, they totally missed the point. And that happens to me every week. People miss the point. And so that little joke that I shared last week, that's the explanation. That's as good as you're going to get tonight. All right. But it's not the cheesemakers that are blessed. It's the peacemakers. Okay. For they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you. Who's, feeling really, who's ever been insulted? Be blessed. Salt makers, salt shakers, what? (laughs) Blessed are those uh, when you persecute persecuted you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Our attitude 
is very important in how we do life. And uh, Jesus had this little teaching and I elaborated on some of those thoughts last week. The first one was blessed are the poor in spirit. And what you need to understand is all these messages, they are available free of charge on our website. And so you can go there and get more detail later on. And this was a attitude toward ourselves. We need to have a correct attitude towards ourselves. Some people are so arrogant and proud, which is not what Jesus was talking about. But some people walk around with this false humility and feel like they're nothing. And and that's actually not the attitude that Jesus would want us to adopt either. There's got to be something that's healthier and it's found in the middle. We talked about that last week. Secondly, blessed are those that mourn. And this has to do with the attitude toward our sins. You know, it's bad enough that we sin. It's bad enough that we do the wrong thing. It's bad enough that we lie, cheat and steal. That's bad enough. But what's really bad is when we don't feel bad for doing those things. If you feel bad for doing bad things, that's a good thing. If you feel good when you do a bad thing, that's a bad thing. So if you're feeling bad because you've done something bad, that's good. You got that? People say, oh, I feel so bad when I come to church. You know what? It could be because it may not be the church. It could be because you've done something bad. And God wants you to feel bad about that. And he wants you to mourn over over your sins and, and, and mourn when you do the wrong thing. I had to stand up here not too long ago, and this may shock some of you, but I used some language which was inappropriate for Sunday morning, believe it or not, and um, I felt really bad for that. No one addressed me on it. No one picked me up on it. In actual fact, there was a lot of people saying, oh, isn't it awesome that we've got a pastor who can use that kind of language in church? And that grieved me all the more because I thought, what what kind of example am I setting? And I felt really, really bad for it. And I tell you, the next Sunday couldn't come around quick enough as I had the opportunity just to stand before everyone and say, like, I'm really, really sorry. And I mourned over my mistakes. And I asked for forgiveness. I asked the whole church, so will you forgive me? Because that's what forgiveness is. Or that's what saying sorry is. It's not, I'm sorry, but you know what? You guys have put me under a lot of pressure. You made me do it. That's not an apology. That's not mourning over your sins. It's when we take ownership and responsibility for what we've done wrong. Again, we talked about that more last week. And the other thing we mentioned last week was blessed are the meek. And that's our attitude toward power. And uh, again, meekness is not weakness. People think that Jesus was meek and mild and he was weak. I want to tell you, Jesus was a man's man. He endured such pain and suffering on the cross and he never complained. That's tough. Jesus went into a temple in front of a bunch of Middle Eastern money makers. And because he was so indignant about what they'd done to the house of God, he turned over tables, he made a whip, he whipped cattle, got, cleared the place and no one confronted him. They were so scared. That's tough. Jesus was not weak, but he was meek. And meekness is when you have power, but you know how to bring that power under control. And last week it went really quiet when I talked particularly about the young ones and I talked about, you know, having this power and some of you girls, and it's true of the old ones too, you are beautiful and that is powerful. And it went quiet just like that. And it's good to know that you're beautiful. I mean, everyone is beautiful, but there are some who look beautiful. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Everyone's beautiful, but... And that's a God-given gift. Some people just are. They're just beautiful. It just seems like, you know, God has favorites. It just seems that way. 
Am I digging a big enough hole? And, and, and you shouldn't feel bad about that, but you shouldn't flaunt it either. You shouldn't flaunt it. And it's true for some of the guys. You're just handsome, you're cool, you're funny, and a lot of girls are attracted to you. And you know it. But it doesn't mean you should be a player. Blessed are the meek. Jesus was tempted and tested in every way as we were. I mean, he rescued a woman caught in the act of adultery and she deserved to be stoned to death according to the law. But Jesus came to a rescue. I think that that woman would have done anything to just be with Jesus. But he never exploited the moment. He wasn't a player. Blessed are the meek. And it's to do with our attitude toward power. There are some things that you are really good at. And praise God for that. But let's adopt an attitude that knows how to bring that power under control. I have a certain power just in this office, this position that I have. And I just never want to abuse it. And you have certain power. As parents, you have power over your children. Don't abuse it. That's what Jesus is talking about. Which brings me to my fourth point, And I don't think we got onto the fourth point last week. And if I, the way I keep going, I don't know if I'm going to get to my points. But anyway, we'll keep moving on. It says, blessed are the hungry and thirsty. And this is our attitude toward God. Because Christianity, despite what you may have heard, is a relationship. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. And every relationship needs feeding. Have you, known that? Have you noticed that? If you ignore your wife and don't feed her with kind words or don't feed her with, with love, attention and affection and you starve her of those things it will ruin the relationship is that not fair to say hence why we see such separation and divorce today and as a result of the separation and divorce we have a generation today that doesn't want to get married because they've seen too much carnage not realizing the problem is not marriage the problem is what we do in marriage we don't feed the relationships Can I just say this? The grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where you water it most. And if you will water your relationships, they will be the greenest pasture you can ever imagine. And if I tell my wife she's beautiful, which she is, if I tell my wife I love you, which I do, if I tell her she's sexy and beautiful and fantastic and amazing and an incredible mother, which she is, that's going to do wonders for our relationship. But if I ignore her, if I put her down, if I tell her that she's not this and why didn't she do that and why didn't she clean this and why didn't she cook this and why is that burnt, it's going to ruin the relationship. <laughs> that could be true at times as well. But between me and everyone in this room, we're not going to tell her, okay? And so people have this warped perception of marriage because people haven't learned to feed the relationships. And so it is with Christianity. People have this, this notion that our Christians are a bunch of hypocrites because what it is, it's not Christianity that's hypocritical. It's people that call themselves Christians but don't live like Christians. That's the problem. We've got people that call themselves Christians but they don't feed and nurture their relationship with God. That's the problem. And wherever something is not fed or nurtured, it dies. And we have a lot of people 
who call themselves Christians and have no relationship with God whatsoever. And that's the problem. And there are plenty of people, and possibly some of them are in this room, who have met people like that, and you say, you call yourself a Christian. And there's no evidence of it whatsoever because the relationship has never been nurtured. And Jesus is saying, blessed are you who hunger and thirst. You know, in this Bible, we don't tell you that you have to read your Bible every day, but you should be hungry to want to read it. We don't say you've got to pray every day, but you should be thirsty to want to pray. I mean, I, I love talking to my wife. I do. I just love being with her. I love it. Every night when we go to bed, I will, I will hold a hand until I fall asleep or until it just gets too uncomfortable. <laughs> but I, do, I, I, just, I just love being with her. Now, there's no way, I, I didn't sign on a dotted line, I must hold her hand before I go to bed. It's just something I want to do. And for me, that's Christianity. I've met a man, his name's Jesus, he saved my soul. And I just enjoy being with him. And I enjoy being with God's people. And I enjoy these opportunities to share and bring some truth to what Christianity really is. Because I know there's a lot of churches and a lot of so-called Christians that have done Christianity a disservice. And if you've got of the notion that Christianity and Christians are a bunch of hypocrites, can I just say this? You may be, it may be true. But it's not true for everyone. It's not true for all Christians. And sometimes it actually becomes a convenient excuse for us not to delve any further. The Bible says if you seek, you'll find. You'll find that not all Christians are hypocritical. And you'll find that Christianity is not a religion, but it's an incredible new adventure with a relationship with our Creator, Creator God. So blessed are the hungry and thirsty. Fifthly, blessed are the pure in heart. And this is our attitude toward truth. Now, I want you to know that there are two types of truth. There's the truth that we like. You know, you know that kind of truth? The kind of truth that's easy to take? We, we like it. Because it's true that you, know, you come to Jesus and then there's, there's a measure of blessing in coming to Jesus. Woohoo! We like that. That's good. And you come to this church and, 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 and there's a measure where we're going to take care of you and look after you and, and we have a responsibility towards you. That's true. Woohoo! But then there's other truth that we don't like. And I want to say, what's your attitude toward truth? Because Jesus is saying that here, blessed are the pure in heart, those that just love truth, even when it hurts. Do you have a relationship with people that can speak the truth into your world, even when it hurts? Never ceases to amaze me when we get people who say, oh, I love this church because they, they love this. But then when you start talking to them one-on-one and addressing a couple of areas in their life, it's kind of, oh, I feel like God's moving me on. <laughs> when all, what all they're really saying is, I, I know it's true, I just don't like that. And there's something wonderful about coming to a new church for the first time. You know, everyone's getting to know you, that's fantastic. But then we get to really know you. And you get to really know us. And that's where the problems come, but that's where the blessing is. And so how much do you really love truth? Blessed are the pure in heart. Sixthly, or number six, blessed are the merciful. And that has to do with our attitude toward people. 
Empathy is different than sympathy. I don't like sympathy. Sympathy has that you poor old thing attached to it. And if anyone has ever called you a poor old thing, I want you to know three things. One, you're not poor. Two, you're not old. And thirdly, you're not a thing. Sympathy doesn't help anybody. But I do believe we have to be an empathetic people. That we have to love people and have a heart for people. Even when we see them doing the wrong thing. See, the trouble is if we just tell people off and address people all the time because they're doing the wrong thing, it's not really what Jesus did. Jesus was holy and he was perfect and he was pure, but he loved people and he was empathetic toward people. And I believe empathy is that ability to cross over and to see it from a person's point of view. It doesn't make them right. But if we could be people that would just cross over and see it from the other person's point of view, that we might at least get insight into their world and into their ways. Because it's so easy just to write someone off because they ended up in jail because of a certain lifestyle. We write them all off. But often there are a series of events leading up to certain situations that lead for devastating results. I grew up in an incredible home with incredible parents. And it saved me a lot of heartache and hurt. I don't have one of those sex, drugs, rock and roll stories. I just have an incredible story that I was loved, nurtured and cared for and saved from all of that. So I've never been drunk. It doesn't mean I haven't acted stupid from time to time, but I've never been drunk. At least when I act stupid, it's all my fault. It's all my doing. I can't even blame drugs or alcohol. I've never, I've never smoked a marijuana joint. I've never smoked a cigarette. But that doesn't make me better than you who have been involved in those things or still are. I live with this notion that there but for the grace of God go I. You put me in a different circumstance, a different family, a different home, and my life could look really, really different. And Christianity is not about us pointing the finger at people doing the wrong thing, but it's about people loving people because that's what Jesus did. At the same time though, we don't condone sin and just say, ah, whatever. It doesn't excuse it. It's just that we understand. And so though I've never been drunk, I've been able to get involved in people's world that has suffered with alcohol and be able to be there for them and to be able to help them through that. I often joke about Sally's first husband before he passed away and went to be with the Lord. He, uh, as he came to church, he, he got saved and gave his life to Jesus, which is awesome. But you know, after that, it's a work. You know, things drop off immediately sometimes and other times it takes a long period of time. And, and Max struggled with alcohol and that's an understatement, Sally. And uh, you know, at times it was difficult to live with him in the same home. So we put our hand up to just look after Max. And, and uh, Max is an awesome man and he... he Stayed in our home and, and pooed in our bed and weed in our bed and, and, and did things which I'm not even going to go into. And, and then he couldn't sleep because of what he was going through. And then he'd be outside just thinking, oh, I'll, guard, I'll, I'll weed the garden for them and do all these incredible, to make up for doing things in the bed that he shouldn't have. And he'd be weeding the garden and we'd be freaking out thinking, who's out there? Someone's out there. We've got this baseball bat walking around. 
ready to bludgeon the very guy we're trying to help, you know. <laughs> I've never been drunk. But I realise there, yeah, but for the grace of God, that could be me. At the same time, we don't say, ah, doesn't matter, mate. It's all right for you. You've had a tough life. It's all right. No, we want to help people out of that. Because what he's in is not helping him. And that's what Jesus is saying. Our attitude should be the same. You know, we who think we're doing really well, you only have to be born to different parents in a different part of the world and you will live a life of poverty and you probably won't make the age of 20. Do you understand that? It's there but for the grace of God. So just when you think you're doing really, really well, just remember, being born in a different time to different parents in a different part of the world would change your life dramatically. And that's why the Bible says, we who have been given much, much more is expected of us. Everyone in this room is in an elite group of people. We are in the top five richest people in the whole world. And I think we are going to have to give an account for what we did with our possessions in order to help those less fortunate. And if we adopt this attitude, we'll be able to give far more easily and far more freely. And wouldn't the world be a better place? Do you know there's enough money in the world today for everyone in the world to be a millionaire plus? Do you know that? Blessed, number seven, are the peacemakers. And this is our attitude towards opposition. Opposition is inevitable because when you give your life to Christ, there's a clash of cultures. There's a clash of kingdoms. And so sometimes, you know, when you, if you've ever come to Christ and, and on this notion that you wouldn't have no problems, you were sold a lie. Opposition does come. Because we are flying in the face of so much of that we see out there. And I believe sometimes it's not enough to keep the peace. You've got to make peace. And sometimes peace is found on the other side of war. And I can prove that to you. Any parents out there? <laughs> Ever had an altercation with your children? A little bit of war in the home? And you made peace? Peace was made? Through a little bit of discipline? And there was peace again. Blessed are the peacemakers. And I want to encourage you in your relationships to, to be bold and to be courageous and, and not just put up with everything and put up with anything. You have, a, you have a right. You know, there's so many things that are just getting put through government. There's so many things and the church just lays down and just puts up with it. And things get passed all the time and we don't even know about it as a church. And then all of a sudden we're allowed, things are allowed in school that we just don't even know where it came from. We have an opportunity to fight, not to be antagonistic, not to be awkward, not to just to fight for no other reason, but to actually make a stand. So where are the peacemakers? We need more and more peacemakers. It's interesting, when we did a, a meeting not too long ago, I don't know if you remember it, but we cleared out all the chairs, we put a big boxing ring in here, and um, we got a little bit of opposition to that from other so-called Christians in the community. They didn't like the thought of you know, adopting the church and blood sports. Well, can I just say this? On that night, there was no bloodshed. 
we had this boxing ring and, and uh, we had uh, a little bit of alcohol and uh, we had some dartboards, we had some pinball machines. We, we had an incredible night. We called it The Bloke. And it was a great night. For all the blokes that were there, it was a fantastic night. And it gave us an incredible opportunity just to show our family and friends, our mates, our blokey mates, that, you know, Christianity is not all that you think it is. And the whole night was about trying to break down some of the walls and the barriers and the perceptions of what, that night, uh, what is in people's minds. And I think we went a long way to doing some of that on that particular night. But we got some opposition. You'll always get opposition. If you were trying to do life without opposition, you'll never do anything in life. You ask any successful person, they always experience opposition. It's par for the course. And my last point tonight is simply this. Blessed are the persecuted. And this has to do with our attitude towards suffering. You know, we can experience suffering for many different reasons. People often say, well, why is there suffering in the world? Well, let me just go through a few reasons here. Number one is because of the fall. When Adam sinned, when he did his own thing and he said, no, God, I'm going to do my own thing. Sin entered the world. And as a result, suffering came. Even, even in childbirth, there was pain associated with the rebellion of mankind toward God. There's also suffering that we experience because of a consequence of our own actions. Some people do the wrong thing and say, why is there suffering in the world? Where's God? Yeah, because you've been an idiot. Don't blame God for when you've been an idiot. You know, it's like, don't touch a kettle, it's hot. Don't touch it, it's hot. Someone touch it, burn their hands. Oh, where's God? He was right there speaking through the person, giving you some common sense not to touch that thing in the first place. That's where God was. There's collective suffering through the generational curse, just the built up of, of all the sin in the world, just things coming together and culminating in all the things that we see going on in the world today. There's the apocalyptic suffering that will be experienced at the end of the age. But Jesus isn't talking about any of those things. Jesus is talking about the suffering that we experience through doing the right thing. When you start putting these things into practice, there'll be some that will applaud you and there'll be some that mock you. And what Jesus was trying to say here is that when you live a life, the Christian life, the true Christian life, not the hypocritical one that we often see, but the real Christian life, you will experience some suffering. But blessed are you. You know, it's not cool to be a virgin when you're a teenager in high school. It's not cool. It's certainly not the norm. But the Word of God tells us to abstain from sex before marriage for many reasons, which I don't have the time to go into right now, but because he cares for us. In actual fact, one of the biggest problems that we have in relationships today is that we don't communicate. When you put sex into the equation too soon, we, 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 we become retarded in other areas that actually make a relationship. And so what God is saying, let's leave the physical intimate side out of the relationship to work on the areas that are actually the glue because sex is not the glue. Sex is just the icing on the cake. What holds the cake together is love. And so God said, I want you to go without that so that you can learn to talk and work through some difficulties without being bought. 
without being manipulated, but to be able to work through problems before you get intimately involved. And so God has these things in place for our benefit, not because he's a party pooper, but because he loves us and wants the very best for us. But the moment you start putting that into practice, because here you might say, yeah, I'm going to do that. Because here it's easy to agree. It's easy to make a stand here. But it's when you go to school and no one else is doing it. And Jesus is saying, adopt an attitude that says, you know what? Even if I have to suffer, I'm going to do it. As it says, blessed are you who are persecuted for doing the right thing. For making a stand. When it comes to tax time, <laughs> what a great time to talk about this. Are you going to do the right thing? And someone might say, even an accountant might say, you know what, you can do this and you can do that. And you and said, no, 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 that, that wouldn't be right. He said, man, you're stupid. Well, I'd rather be stupid than be right. These attitudes that Jesus spoke about aren't just up there as a lofty, unattainable list. These are something that Jesus is saying, I want you to be a part of. These are the attitudes I want you to adopt. In a very short while, we're going to baptize a number of people. And we're about to witness what has taken place on the inside of them. When you come to Christ, the Bible says that we die to our old way of living and we are raised up in, new, in a new wholeness of life that we can live a life for Christ. And we're going to witness that in these waters of baptism, as they go into the water, it represents death to the old way of living. As they come up out of the water, it represents a resurrection, just like Jesus was resurrected on the third day. And that we can walk in a new wholeness of life. And you know what? Things don't always happen for us instantaneously. But God can do a lot with a heart that's committed toward doing the right thing and living a life that is pleasing to Him. And so we want to baptize some people who have said yes to God. And the great thing about saying yes to God is He doesn't just leave us to do it all by ourselves. He places us in a family, the church, whereby we can get the encouragement, whereby we can get the strength because you can't actually do this alone. You need people to come alongside and, and to be able to hold your head up and to be able to help you through and to be able to challenge you and to be able to help, help you in circumstances and situations. And that's why I love the church. I know the church is not perfect. I know the church has made many, many mistakes. But I love the church because it helps us to become who we're meant to be. And it helps us to adopt these particular attitudes. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.